Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. My guest today is Michele Longari, who I met recently in London and who, it turns out, actually lives just a few miles from me near Exeter, Devon, where we both have made our homes. So it was quite a coincidence. Michele is a fellow Italian wine ambassador, and the purchasing director for an independent wine company, Hay Wines, comes originally from Emilia-Romagna, a region with great food and wine traditions. Hey, Michele, thanks very much for being my guest today. How are you? Oh, Mark, hi. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very good. Thank you. Good. It's a bit misty here in Topsham on the Axe, but not quite the same mist that you would be having on the Po Valley, where that mist can really, really settle in. Here, I think it's going to lift later in the day. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I must say that uh, when uh, there is this kind of mist and fog here in uh, in Devon, I really feel like home because, obviously, uh, as uh, as uh, yes, as uh, as you mentioned, in uh, uh, where I come from originally, the nebbia, the fog, uh, is something very important for our daily life. Yeah, winter and summer, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, particular during the winter, uh, it's very difficult to see just a couple of uh, meters from you. Well, until a decade ago, you weren't actually involved at all in the world of wine, at least professionally. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing. You were in Emilia-Romagna then, weren't you? So tell us a little bit about your past life. Yeah, so basically I am from Emilia-Romagna, more uh, in detail from the province of Parma, a small uh, town called San Secondo Parmense. And uh, yes, until uh, just 10 years ago, uh, my professional life was uh, completely different because uh, I graduated from the University of Parma in uh, computer engineering. So I was, uh, yes, my my daily job was being a computer engineering and uh, with a very big passion for uh, food and, uh, and wine. When uh, I started uh, my first job, I decided to invest part of my uh, first salary in uh, the professional sommelier diploma with the uh, Italian Sommelier Association. But to be honest with you, at the very beginning, uh, I wasn't even sure I wanted to take the final exams. I just wanted to know something more about uh, a product that uh, uh, I was finding every day more and more interesting. And then, uh, obviously, as you probably uh, would expect, uh, the more... uh, 
I was involved with wine and the less uh, I wanted to be involved with computers and coding. So I, at, um, uh, I decided to take the, the final exams. I took my sommelier diploma in 2013 and the very same year I moved to, to the UK to start uh, um, a master program in wine business management in uh, Sirencester at the Royal Agricultural University. And then basically that was uh, uh, the big change in my life because when I was writing my master dissertation, I got a job offer from uh, A-Wines. I started working there part-time while I was finishing my master. And uh, eight years later, uh, here I am. <laughs> wow, that's an incredible story. What was your master's dissertation on? Was uh, Well, it was a master's dissertation on business strategy. And the topic was uh, if uh, natural wines uh, could be a successful long-term strategy for British wine merchants. Wow, that's really interesting. And that was actually a very important topic then and even more so now yeah. as natural wines have become much more mainstream. Yeah, it's a, it's a very controversial topic nowadays. And uh, personally, I really don't like the term natural wine, because, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm using it because uh, it's uh, well, basically something uh, that everyone is using. So at least uh, you um, understand a specific category. Uh, I don't like the, the the, the word natural, because uh, personally, what I really like about all the wines that currently are uh, uh, categorized as uh, natural wines is the fact that uh, they are wines with uh, a great sense of place, uh, with uh, very authentic wines uh, that uh, reflect the uh, tradition of uh, their own uh, terroir and uh, normally are made by very small uh, artisans uh, in following very uh, traditional winemaking techniques. So. For me, when, when I talk about natural wine, it's more uh, talking about uh, terroir-driven wines or uh, wines made by small and following uh, the tradition of uh, their own uh, region. Yes, I understand. And I actually, I think that's an important distinction, especially since there isn't any official definition of what makes a wine a natural wine. Now, I'm, I'm going to take us, take us back to your past, Michele, back to where you grew up, because I'd like to focus a bit on this very particular part of Emilia-Romagna, the Bassa Parmense, which is this low land along the Po Valley that you were describing, where you get the incredible mists in winter, the damp humidity, and you get the, the heat and the humidity in summer. And yet it's a source of some really wonderful things to eat and drink. It's funny because uh, as many things in life, I think you really understand uh, the beauty of it uh, as soon as uh, you have some distance with it. So I, I grew up uh, in uh, uh, in the Bassa Parmense and uh, I only when I moved to the UK, I started to realize uh, all uh, the gastronomic bounty uh, that uh, uh, we are surrounded uh, in uh, in the Bassa Parmense. And... Uh, it's something very, very, very interesting because uh, obviously it's, uh, uh, it's something that uh, we keep for granted. It's something that uh, you grew up and it's uh, absolutely normal that for your entire life uh, you are surrounded by local products from the land like all uh, uh, the charcuterie, the salumi we have from the river Po. And then obviously we have uh, this big uh, influence from the 
Emilia tradition, the Emilia cuisine. Let's think about the the tortelli in general, the the, the field pasta dishes, and uh, yes. it's something that is uh, incredible because uh, uh, you have been there, and uh, when you are there, you don't feel like it, but actually is the epicenter of uh, a, a gastronomic tradition that is uh, actually something uh, quite uh, uh, quite unique. And uh, the other important thing is that. Uh, Obviously, the, 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 the proximity to the Po River, which is the, 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 the biggest river in Italy, and the fact that uh, we are a very country region with a lot of agriculture is extremely important. Uh, you have this, this uh, combination of uh, land and river that is uh, something extraordinary. And the more, uh, I mean, San Secondo Parmense is already a bit far from uh, Po, but if you move closer to uh, towns like Polesine Parmense or Zibello, then uh, you get uh, you immediately get uh, uh, what I'm saying because uh, even if you go to the uh, local uh, trattoria or osteria on the menu you will have uh, uh, something coming from the pot and something coming maybe from uh, from the land and this uh, this diversity I think from a gastronomic point of view I think is quite uh, unique in in only a few miles radius. Actually, that's a very important point. We don't think of the uh, freshwater fish from the Po so much, but it's uh, it's traditionally and for centuries and millennia been a source of, a rich source of food. And as you say, that's reflected on the menus. Now, I want to ask you about one particular uh, product, which is very famous from the Bassa Parmense. Uh, you mentioned the salumi tradition, the cured pork. And there's this very special, very limited production of Culatello di Zibello. Tell us about this fabulous pork product. Well, it's uh, when we are talking about uh, uh, the our salumi, so our uh, charcuterie, the, the culatello is basically the top of the pyramid because uh, it's in terms of uh, the quality of uh, what we are talking about. Uh, it basically, doesn't get any better than that. And basically, culatello is um, a very precious product. My great grandparents, uh, in particular from my mother's side, they were involved uh, in uh, agriculture. So basically, they were uh, uh, growing. Uh, crops and products uh, they were having uh, animals and uh, i remember were, were they mezzadri yeah they were mezzadri yes okay so they were tenant farmers as the system of agriculture which existed uh, at, at that time until quite recently actually and actually uh, they were mezzadri and i remember that uh, the culatello uh, was actually um, something that uh, uh, when uh, they reached the end of the season and they basically uh, met uh, the landlord and basically they had to give part uh, of uh, uh, this uh, back uh, in order to pay for the rent of the land. The 50-50. Yeah. They, they always uh, gave uh, the landlord the culatello because the culatello is something that uh, was seen like uh, uh, something very precious, like a gem. Sure, yeah. Basically for the culatello had a much bigger value and they were giving things like uh, the strutto that basically is uh, uh, the fat of the pork that was used uh, instead of butter or oil yes. as an ingredient. And basically my, my grandma always told me that uh, his father uh, was, all be, uh, was always happy to give away the culatello because with that, uh, with only just uh, two culatellos, he was able basically to feed uh, a family uh, for uh, an entire uh, year. Wow. Because the thing is, uh, the thing about uh, culatello is that uh, for the specific uh, part uh, of the leg of the pink that is used and the specific way that is trim and cut, uh, 
if you make culatello, that's the only thing you're going to make in terms of salumi from the leg of the pig. On the other hand, if you make prosciutto, you can make also other um, salumi like uh, fiocco or fiocchetto. So you have uh, a more cost-efficient use of uh, the leg. But if you make culatello, that's it. And uh, um, the other difficult part, obviously, for culatello is the, the curing part, the aging part. And uh, you have touched a point that is very important, our humidity, the fog, the misty fog in the morning. And in particular, the more, the, the more you move close to the Po River, uh, and uh, the better it is for curing uh, uh, meats. And in fact, uh, it's not uh, a coincidence that uh, Culatello, the, the hometown of Culatello is Zibello, that is very close to the Po River, and you have the basically the perfect condition in terms of uh, humidity to make sure that uh, your Culatello is going to age very slowly without drying the meat, but also you need to, to reach the perfect balance between slow but not too slow, because otherwise if there is too much humidity, then you're going to end up having a, a not a very good quality culatello, in particular in terms of aromas. Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps or books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged and much, much more. Just visit our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now, back to the show. Yes, that's fascinating. And actually, it's interesting because the conditions for curing culatello are almost the exact opposite to the conditions for curing prosciutto di Parma, where you want that dry air coming down from the Apennines into Langhirano, where you've got a much drier conditions to make the sweet prosciutto di Parma. And here you have this dense fog and moisture and humidity, creating a completely different and absolutely fabulous product. Thank you for describing that, Michele. Now, I know when you were working as a computer engineer, you were still passionate about discovering wines from all over Italy. And you spent a lot of time traveling to different regions to for enjoyment, but to taste, to learn. What are some of the other areas that you particularly liked exploring? Oh, Mark, that is a very, very difficult question, because to be honest with you, I, I think there isn't a single place or uh, winemaking region in Italy that is not uh, fascinated for uh, uh, its own uh, identity. And the, I think what makes Italy uh, um, so, so, so special is the fact that really you can find uh, something you like uh, in every single region of Italy, uh, because uh, uh, even if you move just a few miles, uh, everything changes quite uh, rapidly and dramatically in terms of uh, tradition, culture, and obviously food and wine. But probably, I think that uh, uh, I would probably my highlights. I would probably think about uh, Cinque Terre in Liguria. I remember that the first time I went to Cinque Terre and uh, uh, I visited some uh, uh, wine producer there, I was absolutely shocked by. Uh, the level of commitment these producers have uh, in making wine, this uh, heroic viticulture, and uh, also the aromatic complexity you have in the Cinque Terre wines, where you have this uh, bit of macchia mediterranean notes, uh, and then a beautiful stone fruit, uh, even tropical fruit note with some aging. Then I'm also very, uh, very good memories of uh, a trip uh, 
to Monte Conero in the market where you have the uh, the Conero Rosso wines made. And uh, I, I think I really like the fact uh, the deep interconnection there was uh, between uh, wine and uh, olive oil and other products from the land. I think in the Monte Conero area around, I found the perfect combination and the, the, the probably one of the deepest link between uh, uh, wine with all the other uh, products from uh, the area. And then probably, yeah, Montalcino. Montalcino, I think, was uh, my very first trip when I decided from Parma, uh, it's uh, just uh, like a three and a half hours drive to reach Montalcino. And obviously, back then, uh, I, I was only aware of the main appellation in Italy. So I said, uh, let's go to Montalcino. And uh, I think uh, my trip to Montalcino was probably very important because uh, when I was there, I immediately understood that actually for me, wine was something more than just uh, a passion because uh, the, the the level of uh, intensity I noticed in uh, uh, the passion that the wine producer had, the the deep uh, connection with the history of, uh, of the region, uh, I immediately thought, uh, wow, this is something that would be very nice to do for a living. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. You've taken us to some beautiful places there. And you're absolutely right, Michele, that the beauty of Italy is that each region, each provincia, each comune almost has its own rich food and wine traditions. And it's always a joy to discover them, to, do, to new things to eat and new wines to taste, sometimes from grapes never heard of before. One thing I noticed is the fact that uh, I noticed that uh, in my trips, uh, the last trip was always my favorite one. So actually, I was very uh, excited to plan for the next one because I noticed that uh, the more I started to visit Italy and all the regions and the, diff the, the, the small towns, and the more I wanted to visit more. And I think this is uh, an experience that uh, many people are actually sharing these days. Yes, I think you're right. And I think that's a really nice way to look at it. You, you've had a great time, but you know there are more, more wonderful places to discover all the time. Now, you now live in Devon. You live in what I think is the most beautiful part of the UK. Uh, how have you found life here? It's very different from being in Italy. It's different in every way. It's different climatically. It's different geographically. And of course, the food and wine is very different. Yeah, it's um, obviously it's, it's very different. And uh, uh, in particular, uh, I think the obviously climate is, uh, is completely different, but uh, what I found here in Devon is uh, that actually uh, there is uh, um, a deep connection between uh, people and uh, the gastronomic uh, uh, culture of, uh, of Devon. Obviously, I'm talking about uh, products of the sea, of the land, uh, cheeses, uh, in particular, if you think about more uh, uh, like in the southwest, so even with Cornwall. And... Um, um, one thing I always notice here in Devon that uh, it, it, from the very beginning it felt like being uh, at home is the fact that, uh, generally speaking, people have, uh, I think, uh, a very deep connection with food and they really like uh, and they're really proud of the, um, the production that is uh, actually made uh, uh, here in, uh, in the area. And talking about wines, uh, well, it's... Uh, as uh, all the people that already were lucky enough to visit Devon know, this is uh, a red, uh, a red soil. There is compared to the southeast where there is a white chalky soil. This is uh, a rich, uh, narrow, rich red soil. And I've noticed that in particular, obviously, sparkling wines have already 
a, a very good average quality. But I think that uh, still wines here uh, are able to get uh, um, a depth, uh, a minerality, and uh, an overall an acidic structure that I think is quite uh, is quite amazing, to be honest. Well, that's really interesting. The wine scene here in Devon has just come on in leaps and bounds in the last. 20 years, certainly. Possibly, you know, a good reflection of one of the benefits of climate change because, you know, different varieties are being grown here that simply couldn't be cultivated 20 years ago, such as Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. uh, And as you say, the sparkling wines are winning awards. But I've been very impressed with this uh, still wines being made, including red wines. Yeah, and actually, it's uh, uh, in terms of Pinot Noir, there is uh, in particular a clone that is uh, very used, that is the so-called Pinot Noir early or precocé, and actually is able to get uh, a perfect level of ripeness even in this kind of uh, weather. And uh, But for instance, for me, I've tried uh, many local wines in the past, and uh, I really like uh, the still Bacchus made here, or the or the Ortrega, or the uh, Petnat Solaris. And I really think that there is... Uh, a huge potential for, uh, in general, let's say with British wine, but in particular in the southeast and southwest, I think there is uh, a huge potential to put, uh, I think, this uh, area on the on the wine map of the wine uh, enthusiasts of the future, I think. Yes, I think on the wine map of the world. You've mentioned some of those unusual grape varieties, hybrid grape varieties, and that's a very interesting subject. I know Professor Scienza has been exploring that in his book, Vine and Prejudice, and how, you know, Vitis vinifera uh, with hybrid varieties, how they how they can compare. So that's a very good point. I found out that, uh, like Professor Scienza says in uh, his book, uh, there is uh, some kind of prejudice, in particular in uh, continental Europe, regarding these hybrid uh, varieties. Uh, although, uh, if people only tried uh, the wines coming from these varieties, uh, uh, it's immediately clear that uh, the level of quality that is uh, uh, reachable is uh, outstanding, to be honest. Yes, absolutely. And this is a very good example of what uh, Professor Scienza is, is, is saying in the book. Michele, I think, I think the next time we meet has to be over a glass of wine, Italian or Devon, but whatever, we're just uh, near each other and uh, it's about time we met up for a glass of wine. It's been a real pleasure having you as my guest today. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about your life and about uh, the Bassa Parmense in particular uh, and about your love of food and wine. So I hope we can meet up soon. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you very much. Okay, grazie. Ciao. A a presto. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net.
guys, I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.